0: It's all about the value, not the cost. It's all about the value and who's most likely to allow us to achieve that value. That might be internal, but it might be external.
1: Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, the podcast that brings you practical advice, lessons, and stories from senior leaders and thought leaders from around the world. The Strategy and Leadership Podcast is brought to you by SME Strategy, working with organizations around the world to create and implement their strategic plans. To learn more, visit smestrategy.net. And now your host, Anthony Taylor.
2: Hey there, folks. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Today, I am joined by David
0: A. Fields, who is the managing partner at David A. Fields Consulting Group. David, how are you today? I'm outstanding and and delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me to be on the show.
2: I'm so excited. So uh, for our listeners who might not know, I am a consultant. I do strategic planning consulting, started my company about 12 years ago, and I begged, borrowed as much information as I could get. And David was one of the people that inspired me along my consulting journey. So when I saw that there was an opportunity to interview him on the podcast, I jumped at it. Uh, But David, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do
0: for people around the world, and we'll get into it. Okay. Uh, What we do is very straightforward. Our clients are all small consulting firms. So we work with anywhere from solos, not startups, but solo consultants up to, we have some clients over a hundred million, but I I would say most of our clients are 20 million and below. And we help them build their consulting firms. Our expertise is is the business of consulting.
2: That's awesome. And so as you go through helping people on their consulting journey. What are some of the things that you think about? What are some of the things you consider? And and maybe what are the things that you find deliver the most value for the consultants that you
0: work with and run into? Oh, gosh, Uh, that's a broad question. And of course, it depends entirely on on who we're talking to and where they are in their journey. Um, What we have found is there are fairly predictable stages in, in the growth cycle. And, and in fact, we have, um, we published once something called the 10 stages of growth for a consulting firm. It's one of these things that uh, I was sitting there one morning writing, as you know, I, I write a fair amount. And I'm like, you know what? I wonder if this would be helpful. And I jotted down these 10 stages, threw it out on the blog. It turned out to be our most popular thing ever. You know, it's like just, just so happened. Those stages do create pretty predictable, but different problems. For instance, if you have a three-person firm or a one-person firm, culture is a little bit less of an issue. At such point as you're $20 million, you've 80 or 100 people, culture is a massive issue. And now you're dealing with multiple offices, perhaps. So so the challenges change. The fundamentals of the business stay the same, though, because the fundamentals of of the consulting business are, are very, very simple. So it's a very simple business. Uh,
2: what had you decide to be a mentor,
0: advisor, champion for consultants? So I, I did this, uh, I started doing this uh, for the normal reasons uh, anybody goes in their business, which is they fall into it backwards and, and go, oh, look where I am. So that I, I was, I've was. i been in consulting for 25 years. Uh, worked my way up through to partner at a, at a firm, spun off and created, uh, co-founded a firm and, and the business we had, which predates the the Catalans of the world, Catalan and BTG and all these kinds of firms that now allow uh, those of your listeners who are corporate uh, folks who might go to an aggregator and say, hey, look, can you find me? Can you assemble a team? That all exists now. Back in 2005, it didn't exist. I had created something similar, mm-hmm. uh, a consortium, and I would sell consulting work and then bring in experts to, to do the work. Well, there I am doing my, my thing. And some consultants started to say, wait a second, David, how are you able to do this? How do you win projects? How do you win better projects? And all I'd been focused on was the client side. My first book is actually for clients. It's how to hire consultants, how to use consultants better. And sort of on a lark, I decided to coach a couple of consultants and that lark ate my business. Is what happened. And so over four or five years, the, well, you know what? I'll help out another consulting firm. Yeah, sure. I can advise you on how you would grow or how you scale. The revenue on that just, you know, and I eventually just let go of the, the old corporate business. Cool.
2: Well, wow, that's an awesome story. It's funny. Entrepreneur and startup life, you just do things and sometimes
0: they work out better than you expected. Well, there you go. Well, I'm a, a huge fan of listening to the market. And let the market tell you what your business should be. Let your customers tell you what your product should be. Rather than looking in the mirror and going, gosh, what am I good at? Or what is our firm about? Which I think there's so much of that happening in consulting firms and in corporate. It's like, dude, look out the window. What do the people out there want? Yeah. And focus on them.
2: And that's not limited to consulting companies, of course. No. Yeah, one of the big things when I was building my firm and and doing strategic planning as a facilitator without too much gray hair was convincing people that there was value in a consultant versus doing it in-house. If we focus on, of course, value-add, what are some of the value-added considerations for a client when they're looking for hiring a consultant? When should they do it? When should they do it? And what are some of the questions they should ask themselves?
0: Right. So those are the exact right, right questions. Uh, and actually, that is in my first book, which you know a handful of people read, as opposed to the second book, where a lot of people read it. the The key questions for a client are... Can we do it this ourselves and should we do it ourselves? Mm. After they've already established what is it they want to do, right? So what are we doing and why bother? That's always why you, where you start. Why bother? What's the value? Once you've determined the value of solving your problem or achieving your aspiration, which are the two things you're trying to do, then you can answer those two questions. Can we do, the, do it ourselves? In other words, do we have the capability? Do we have the capacity? And should we do it ourselves? Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of reasons why you should or shouldn't. One, of course, is this is core to us. This is what we do. We want to build this capability. Well, then maybe you should do it yourself or hire someone and learn it. On the other hand, maybe it's not core to what you do. In which case, yeah, you could, but you shouldn't. Or maybe you want, you, you want or need external perspective because your internal perspectives are biased or because there's political internal political considerations or for whatever reason you need to get out of that world. Alternatively, you might say, this is the, the crown jewels of our company. We're not willing to let an outsider play with it. That would be a reason to keep it inside. So th- there's actually a, a whole, if you want, there's a can we, should we checklist. I think I have somewhere from years ago that I could uh, forward to you and make available to to folks to to make this decision uh, a smart way. Cool. Well, I'll
2: see if I can find that or you can send it to me. I can put it in the show notes. One of the things my father-in-law or my wife and I just did a renovation on our house and my father-in-law believes that we should do everything and I have no skills whatsoever in home building. And so I'm an outsource as much as the time kind of thing, but it's so interesting how people can have different perspectives on what they see valuable, the opportunity cost of things. It's like, yeah, well, Absolutely right. w- w- I spend it, but you know, what's the upside there?
0: Yeah. Where, where clients tend to go wrong, um, companies tend to go wrong, is they look at the wrong side of the ledger or the wrong side of the equation, meaning they're looking at the cost. What's the cost of doing it internally versus what's the cost of hiring an external person or an external firm? And that's the complete wrong way of looking at it because you, you don't get up in the morning, you don't start your work day in any corporation saying, How do I spend money? Because that's not the goal of the organization. The goal of any organization is to win customers, is to, and, and to provide value to your customers efficiently. So when you're deciding how do we achieve this aspiration or how do we solve the problem, it's all about the value, not the cost. It's all about the value and who's most likely to allow us to achieve that value. That might be internal, but it might be external. Mm. In, in most cases, you could pay 3x or 4x for an external resource versus an internal resource, and it would make no difference to the, the bottom line relative to the value of whatever you're trying to achieve.
1: Mm.
0: You're trying to launch a product, you're trying to enter a new market, you're trying to optimize your culture. you know any sort of big initiative, the value of that is so enormous, it dwarfs the cost of the resources that are going to help you get there. So you don't make your decision based on the cost. You make your decision based on what's the likelihood of succeeding, what's the likelihood of achieving the value. Well, and I find
2: that interesting because that's not how people always see it. So communicating that value equation for them to think about it. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, one of the things that I find the most valuable about how you communicate what you communicate is your use of visuals. And I don't think that people were doing that before, but what had you, so for those of you, you could check him out on, on LinkedIn, check out his books, check out his articles, and they're always have a cool way to think about it. And it's not, you know, it's not a Miro like we got behind me, but it's a very, very cool. So what had you get inspired to communicate
0: your value that way? That's a really good question. I don't know if I remember the answer because I've been doing it for so long, putting in the little stick figures. Um, Part of it, of course, is it amuses me. So uh, it's all self-serving. I include drawings. I think it breaks it up. It makes it easier to read. But also I find it hysterical that I have such little talent that it can take me 10 tries to make a circle round enough to call a head of a stick figure. Just including that I don't know how I, I started doing it, and then became part of the brand. It's mm. so again one of these things. You're like, well, wait a second. People really appreciate it. There are people who come every week to our weekly article for the stick figures, <laughs> not not for the rest of the content. It's like, all right, that's good. If you're coming, that's great. You do, you do the drawings yourself, then? Yeah, I do. I do the drawings with this pen right here. Um, I happen to have on on a tablet just over there. That's awesome. Yeah, pro- I probably shouldn't admit it that that I still do all the drawings, but yeah, I create all the content.
2: I find it fun. And interesting that you say that people come just for those is because it shows how different people learn and how both being adaptive to what people want, but then also like creating a new way for people to kind of, you know, disseminate the value that you provide. It really creates a a level of differentiation between you and uh, other gurus, which I don't know if you like that term, but you might not, but just people who really uh, talk and share. So uh, is there something that consultants and leaders can learn about how they communicate value, how they storytell, and how they are able to get people like bought into their perspective?
0: Well, yeah, so I think there is, but it goes back to what we were talking about before, which is listen to your market, hmm. right? Listen to people. So what, what my audience has told me is they like the drawings. And my editor tells me, I mean, it's harder to edit and read my stuff without the the stick figures because it's, it's you know, it's just less entertaining. But um, the audience has said that. And I think you always want to listen to your audience. And, and what do they say about how you're communicating? And it doesn't mean you are a strict slave to, you know, I, I don't believe in, okay, well, they say talk about this keyword. And so I'm just going to say this. But it doesn't mean listen and pay attention. Where are people responding? Where are they not responding? What, from a structural standpoint, are people saying responding more to short messaging, which happens now? Do they need more white space, or do they want more dense, you know, really data-rich? All of those things your market will tell you. My second book was heavily, heavily market tested, Hmm. heavily market tested, and as a result, it is a Far better book. It communicates far better than if I had just written it and said, well, here's what I think. is what I want it to look like. Down to and including the title of the book and the cover, neither one of which I like, but the market said, this speaks to us. Okay, there you go. Interesting.
2: So uh, if we shift from the client who's gonna buy consulting to the consultant sure. who's gonna sell consulting, and we yeah. talk about what the market wants, uh, we're entering, a, we're in an economic downturn, The depending on who you talk to. What is the market saying for cult consultants? What are consultants saying about the market? And what are you seeing as a professional um, inside this industry
0: and beyond? Okay. So this is truly, this is a point in time snapshot. And I'll tell you what I'm seeing in the marketplace. And your listeners, I would actually love to hear them say, no, this is what we're seeing. What I'm seeing, so first of all, demand for consulting has been the strongest over the past couple of years that I've seen in 25 years. It has Mm. been exceptionally strong. I have not seen demand wane or ebb at all in the last couple of months. What I have seen is decision cycles lengthen. And that happens when clients, understandably, get a little bit nervous. If the future looks uncertain, then... Decision makers are a little bit slower to, to just pull the trigger and ex- execute on a project. But the amount of dollars out there is still high. There is still a reluctance to bring in full-time staff to show that on the balance sheet. Uh, so if you're, a, if you're a corporate VP and you're trying to accomplish something, you don't want to add people. That's frowned upon. But you still need to get the work done. Therefore, outside resources are a good solution, not just executors, but but thinkers. There's still very, very high demand is what we are seeing. It's a little bit of a slowdown or a lengthening, I should say, of the sales cycle mm. so far. Again, there's a part of it depends on what market you're in. Two years ago, the energy market was just a disaster, and all of our clients who were in the energy market were really struggling, and then it took off, and they got more work than they know what to do with. Awesome.
2: Uh, what would you suggest to consultants out there for them to be successful in this you know, upcoming couple of years? And is there anything else that you think they should know uh, that is uh, timeless about selling as a
0: consultant? Sure. The, well, I'll tell you what's timeless. Lesson number one, as far as I'm concerned, is consulting is not about you. Consulting is about them. Clients, your prospects, the market—that—that that is the. It's very easy. It's what we call right-side-up thinking. It's very easy to say. It's actually very, very difficult in practice to make everything you do about your clients, about the market. However, that's fundamental to to winning business and to succeeding in this business. Is remembering this business it actually is not about you. It's not about your consulting firm. It is about the clients. Um, so that would be the the timeless piece of advice, if, if, if I could um, suggest just, just one. I mean, we are in a people business. So I always recommend that people focus on that. They focus on the, on the individuals. Uh, yes, you're helping a corporation or a corporate client, but you're helping a person mm-hmm. inside a corporation. You're helping them succeed, and it's a personal, trust-based, human business. That's one of the reasons I really like the consulting business. Is it is very very human. Uh, ultimately, I think most of us in the profession really enjoy helping our clients as people succeed, not just their businesses, them as individuals. It's extraordinarily rewarding.
2: Mm, absolutely, that's one of the coolest things. Getting to when I say like, "Hey, are they friends and clients?" And you're like, "Well, yeah, they they kind of are. Like they're both because you're helping them have great life, great work." uh satisfaction fulfillment but if you've been with them for a long
0: time you see their life like evolve and change and it's pretty Absolutely cool Absolutely right you get the baby pics and the grandbaby pics and the wedding pics and the you know it all it's it's all part of it
2: yeah, and I imagine with your clients that you work with, because they go through all of those growth stages that they you've seen them, their businesses grow the little babies that they were into uh, bigger and oh, more yeah. substantial ones.
0: We've seen folks go from a, a teetering on bankruptcy to working an eight-figure and you know targeting nine-figure businesses. We, we, we've we seen all the life cycles. <laughs> That's awesome. So just as
2: we finish up here, David, um, what are you working on right now? Like what excites you about your work? And then uh, maybe tell our audience where they can connect, learn more about you and see
0: some of your awesome doodles. See some of my awesome doodles. All right. What do we work on? Well, we're always working on a ton of stuff because I love this business. So anything we can do that we think can help clients, help consulting firms, like we, we're signed up for. And we continue to expand. I've just got amazing people in my organization. So what are we working on? And partly still, demand is so high, we're working on finding more people. To learn about us, I would just go to davidafields.com. If you want to see the doodles, click on the blog link. And uh, we have hundreds and hundreds of articles. Uh, I think they're valuable for consulting. What I've been told is they're valuable outside of consulting also. I mean They're pretty broadly applicable.
2: Awesome. Well, that was one of the reasons I was really excited to share cuz even from today whether you're a consultant, whether you're inside a business, whether you're inside you're a consultant inside a business, uh there's just so many things that you can apply, you know, focusing on the customer, making sure that you're about them, recognize that they're individuals and also recognize that there's always opportunity out there uh if you're on the lookout for serving people. So, David, anything else that you want to tell our audience or listeners
0: before we finish up today? That's always a dangerous question because I will happily pontificate and talk. I'll talk for two days straight about this because I I love it. Um, No, really, I would say, the only thing I would say to listeners is if you are in your own business, make sure that business is serving you, you're not serving the business. And if you're working for some corporation, same thing, make sure that role is serving you. As much as I help build businesses, really, this is all about building lives. So that's what I'd like people to take away.
2: I love that. And in a minute or less, that was pretty great. So David, thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's been a blast and uh, on a personal level, just a pleasure to uh, make your acquaintance as well.
0: Likewise. It's delightful. I really appreciate the chance to chat with you. It's my pleasure.
2: Folks, my guest today, David A. Fields, who is the managing partner at David A. Fields Consulting. Check out his work. He's committed to it, has been committed for such a long time. Again, David, I can't thank you enough for the impact you've had on me and my family and my life. So I'll send you some baby pics. And uh, everybody else, please do follow along. So hope you enjoyed today's episode. Once again, my name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. I'll see you next time.
1: Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We post twice a week, so you can count on us for your weekly source of content to help you grow and expand as a leader. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving us a review. We read every single one, and it helps us make a better show for you, the listener. Also, it helps more people find the show, which means we can help as many people as possible. We appreciate you listening and following along, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And as Anthony says, until next time.